for those who hear the following message and were not in assembly with us this day, we are sorry. We encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 11 verses 35 through 38 about the bloody history of the saints of God and the race that they ran well that we are now to run in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. We ask you to read Psalm 44, which is the Psalm of Martyrs, and to especially see the 22nd verse that will aid you in Romans chapter 8. We encourage you to look at Fox's Book of Martyrs so that you might appreciate the text of Scripture that we have before us. Let us all turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. In light of all that we have already done, and hopefully with some small measure of wisdom, I shall be brief, though the text shall now take upon it the sense that was originally intended by the Apostle, which you know nothing of without remembering martyrs. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen Amen and amen. I believe that when you are asked... Can a Christian lose their salvation? Or when you may ask the question yourself, can one of God's elect lose their salvation? There are a couple of places you ought to go first, and this is one of them. The other would be John chapter 6, where Jesus said that He came down from heaven, not to do His own will, but to do the Father's will. And the Father's will, which sent Jesus Christ, was that He should lose nothing of all those that God had given him, but that he should raise all of them up again in the last day. And we believe that. Jesus died for the elect only, as he says over and over and over again. And he did not lose a single one of them because he paid for their sins and clothed them with his righteousness. And they shall all be raised up in the resurrection of the just in the great day. He laid down his life for the sheep. He did not die for the goats which are distinguished in John chapter 10 very plainly. But we come to Romans chapter 8 to begin at verse 29 and to read through verse 39 and to know that these 11 verses allow no souls of God's elect to slip through any cracks. They shall all be saved. They can never be separated from the love of God. 
And the only people that understand those words are those that believe in election and predestination and the distinguishing love of God for His elect only. Because if God loves all men indiscriminately, universally, and equally, then these verses have no sense whatsoever. Because the majority of mankind will most definitely be separated from that love in eternal torment in the lake of fire. But God had an everlasting love for His elect from before the world began and sent the Lord Jesus Christ to secure eternal life for them by His legal sacrifice, and every single one of them shall be saved. And so, Romans eight twenty nine through 39 becomes very simple for us to understand, and it becomes very valuable for us to remember. And it becomes very powerful when it's preached to those who are suffering, and I hope that we can at least take a measure of the blessing of these verses to our own souls, though you have never suffered for the cause of Christ. I'm sorry that what you think is suffering is not really suffering after we consider martyrs. I would be ashamed to say otherwise. We reject the prosperity gospel that is so common today because of verses like this. You must have a persecution perspective, which I had Brother Gerald give you which I exhorted you to last night in my preparatory email, so that you can understand these verses. These verses should be understood in the light of what has just gone before, in that God spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us. And that that Lord Jesus Christ, in a fourfold redemption, has secured everlasting life for us. He died, verse 34, yea, rather, there's something better than that. He rose again, He is even at God the Judge's right hand, and He makes intercession for us. Our fourfold redemption by the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again, this commandment have I received of my Father. The Lord Jesus Christ loved you so much that He willingly chose to die when He had the power of doing it or not doing it. And His Father loves Him for being a great shepherd of the sheep. And that great shepherd of the sheep did not lose a single one of those brothers, those 60 Italian Piedmontese brethren, Waldensian preachers that our brother wanted to pronounce their names in their honor, not one of them will be lost, but the great shepherd of the sheep does not flee when the wolf cometh. It's the hireling that flees when the wolf comes and catcheth them and scattereth the sheep, but not our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. And it's in Him we trust for our eternal souls and for those that have gone before us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing to give you an answer right up front to understand the rhetorical question. Nothing. But I want you to notice it doesn't say what shall separate us. Those are seven things that are listed are what's. Tribulation is not a person. So why is it written Who shall separate us? Because tribulation, in this context, was prosecuted against them by men. 
by Caesars, by Jews, and then as history has developed, by popes, and even by Protestants in this nation. I remind you that the first Baptist church in the South, established around 1690 in Charlestown, South Carolina, was formed by 28 church members fleeing from persecution in the state of Maine of these United States, where the Congregationalists were the state church and they being infant sprinkling heretics, hated Baptist preachers like William Screven, who had the same character as of our Piedmontese brethren who boldly preached it against their order to cease and desist until he finally left and came to the south. I thank God for examples like that. But these seven aspects of trouble and difficulty in a Christian's life which you don't know about. So we remember the martyrs to understand the text are caused by men. Family would betray family members to bring the inquisitors in and the tormentors against our ancestors in the faith. I want you to understand that the Romans knew about suffering and you don't know about it. So please understand these verses in a context of the audience to whom it was written. We know that they suffered because it says in verse 17, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And in verse 18 of this chapter, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now that's giving you a little tip in advance in answer to the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. And it's giving you a tip in advance that nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors because the persecution of this life, even if you suffered the death of a martyr, is not to be compared to the glory that is going to be revealed in us as the exalted sons of the living God. Brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ, joint heirs with Him of all heaven has, with the angels as our servants, known and professed by the Lord Jesus Christ to be His brethren, to all men and devils that shall fill the lake of fire. This is the coming end of the drama of redemption. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one can separate us from the love of Christ, no matter what they were to do to us or our fathers in the faith. Nothing in heaven, earth, or hell could possibly alter the love of the Lord Jesus Christ who chose to lay down His life for His sheep. Praise God we have a Savior. We don't have a Savior that's trying to save all of mankind and is a miserable, effeminate, dejected loser in the vast majority of them. We have a conquering hero who loved his own unto the end and loves them still and intercedes for them and who said boldly, I shall lose none of them. And he shall not. And he has not. And he will not. You say, oh, I love the sound of that kind of assurance of salvation. Well, then you need to answer the question, am I one of God's elect? 
And God's elect are known by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and adding to that faith something because that faith by itself is nothing more than a devil's faith and is no proof of nothing. That's two negatives, which means it is not proof of anything. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You may be separated or forgotten by all other lovers in your life, but you will never be separated from the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for His brethren. The Bible says that David spoke it well, and Isaiah said it as also, A mother may forget her sucking child, but I shall never forget thee. And so David could say, When my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. His love will never end. Shall tribulation end the love of the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, no. Tribulation is proof that they were counted worthy to suffer shame like the Lord Jesus Christ. And they viewed it that way. Do we view it that way? That a little tribulation or even a lot of tribulation is a good thing. As I mentioned earlier in this assembly, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, in what we commonly call the Beatitudes, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Rejoice with exceeding joy. For so persecuted they, your fathers, and the holy prophets. It's an evidence of salvation. Shall tribulation separate us? No. Tribulation just marks us as being the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 1 very quickly with me. I will not belabor all seven of these points. I have belabored them in an outline, but it is not necessary this morning. I want you to understand the love of the great shepherd of the sheep for you. I am the good shepherd, he said. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Did you know what he said to those Jews that hung him on the cross? Did he say to them, would you please believe on me, you little pagan rebels, so that you can become my sheep? He said in John 10, 26, the same chapter of the Lord Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep. When they came and asked him, if thou be the Christ... Tell us plainly. I did tell you. And you believed me not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. The world out there, the Christian world, the Arminian world, the begging world, the begging pastor world, wants to beg sinners to believe on Jesus in order to become the sheep of Jesus. But the Bible teaches the very opposite. The Bible teaches that God made the difference between sheep and goats. And it's the sheep that hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe, because if you're not one of His sheep, you can't and you won't believe. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. John 10, 26. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, 
is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. That kind of religion, based on election and predestination, is not popular. And the Jews tried to kill the Lord Jesus Christ for declaring that they were goats and that those simple people in Judea that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ were his sheep and he wouldn't lose a single one of them. In Philippians chapter 1, let's read about tribulation. Philippians 1.28 Our apostle is commending the Philippians and encouraging them. And he says to them, In nothing, terrified by your adversaries. All our brethren had adversaries. Who were our adversaries? I mean, really. I'm ashamed. We need more. We'll trust the Lord, though, in His infinite wisdom that He's done what is perfect and good in His will. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. The fact that the world, the renowned Roman Empire, was persecuting Christians was to a Roman mindset an evident, an evidence of the judgment upon Christians. But it actually is an evident token of salvation. Because you're counted worthy to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. For, look at verse 29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which He saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul and the Philippians were both persecuted and it showed their relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was an evident token of their salvation, and that salvation was of God, even though the world would look at it like we're getting rid of these scum enemies of God and sending them to an early hell. That's how twisted the world views things, and the Bible tells us to look at it the opposite way. Right. Back to Romans chapter 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation. Tribulation, trials, temptations, trouble, difficulty. Shall that separate us? Not a chance. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered tribulation. And He committed His Spirit into the hands of His Father and went straight into the presence of God and has been there ever since at the right hand of our Father. What about distress? Distress is hard circumstances pressing your minds. You may get so overwhelmed at times by difficulties in your life that you don't know what to do. The apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 would say this, that we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed in any destructive way. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. The apostle had troubles in his life, but they didn't overwhelm him, and he knew they certainly didn't overwhelm the grace of God and the love of Christ for his elect. Shall distress? No. Distress will just force us to cry unto our Father for wisdom. James 1.5 What about persecution? Will it separate us? Jesus was persecuted. It's a token of our salvation. It's something we should rejoice in. 
Jesus said, if they've persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. The servant is not greater than his master. If they've come after me with all the miracles I've performed, just think of how they're going to come after you since you won't be able to perform like me, especially those of later generations from the apostles. What about famine? Will famine separate us? When was the last time you were hungry? In in the three hours between breakfast and lunch? Or in the five hours between lunch and supper? No, that doesn't work. Because you probably had two snacks in those five hours. You say, I fast every day. That's why it's called breakfast. Oh, while you're sleeping. That's what you call famine. Famine. No food. How do I preach this text to you? You fat Americans listening to a fat preacher? Famine. Nothing to eat. Because you are driven out and banished. No matter what season of the year. And anyone that gives you a piece of bread is considered to be an accomplice in your heresy. As our brother read, shall famine. Did the Apostle Paul suffer famine according to 2 Corinthians 11 when he gave his resume? Yes. Did he learn to be content in whatever condition he was in regarding food? He did. It's a learned condition. It's a learned response. Shall famine separate us? I wonder how much pleasure the Lord has in writing Scripture and telling us that those martyrs, some of which went out of this world by starvation, will have a seat with a double portion at the marriage supper of the Lamb. What kind of fare do you think will be served at that metaphorical table when we sit down with the Lord Jesus Christ with His love for His martyrs? Can you see little Benjamin sitting there? I speak metaphorically of one of God's martyrs. Can you see Benjamin there with five times what you get? Will you happily give him yours so that he can have six? Because you've lived fat and happy every day of your lives? Famine. Do you know what feast they would keep? Though they might be starving? The feast of a little cup of wine and a little piece of unleavened bread. The Lord's Supper. By choosing to keep that according to the Scriptures, they lost the privilege, the right, whatever you want to call it today, of food. Because they wouldn't submit to the Pope's Mass. Or nakedness. They had their clothes taken from them and driven into the wilderness like animals, naked. Ah, but Psalm 45, my favorite psalm, tells me that they're going to be clothed in fine needlework, the righteousness of the saints, and pure white linen. They don't need clothes in this world. And let them despise the shame of nakedness like their Lord despised the shame of nakedness hanging on a cross in public view in front of the women that followed Him. Shall it separate from the love of Christ? It just puts us farther into His arms. 
There's no way it separates. He went before us, the great example, by some of these measures. Or peril. Peril of robbers. Peril of wild animals. The Apostle Paul said so. That he was in peril of both. By traveling alone or in small companies through dangerous territories. In 2 Corinthians 11. In England, they would banish them out into the woods to suffer at the hands of wild beasts. Peril. Robbers, no protection by the police for a Christian. Will that separate us from the love of Christ? There is no peril that can touch a child of God except for the little things here in this life. The Lord Jesus Christ would say, Fear not them which kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. Big deal. You know, even first graders learn sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I mean, they've learned to start figuring out that having your body broken is not the worst thing that can happen. Who cares if you're in peril for a few dollars or in peril for your limbs or in peril for your life? The Lord Jesus Christ has your soul in His hand, your name on the palm of His hand and written in the book of life. Or sword. Sword is a metonym for that which is caused by the sword or the effect of a sword, which is death. And death will be repeated down in verse 38. But shall death separate us from Christ? Death delivers us to Christ. No wonder we have the 37th verse that says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Because death actually gets us out of the misery that our, that their persecutors were actually having to live through. Italy in the 17th century? Soldiers? What'd they make? 75 cents a month? Instantly to be in the presence of the Lord by death and to leave their miserable wretches behind to die in some bug-infested bed someplace with some bishop of that unholy church sprinkling holy chrism around him and trying to give his soul safe passage, but being entirely unable to do so. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall enemies that bring tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? They can't touch us. They can't touch them. Do you know how comforting this would be? Do you know to sit in an assembly and have a letter opened? from the apostle to the Gentiles and to have family members buried with torn bodies by the Romans, the pagan Romans rather than the papal Romans or by the Jews and to have the God of heaven give you these words in writing. Can those pagan Romans or the papal Romans that are coming or the wicked Jews Can they separate us from the love of Christ? You're sitting there listening. You've lost family members. You've lost church members. And you're having this epistle read. And I wish that I could give you the understanding that you ought to have of the text rather than just blowing through these 11 verses and say, yep, no Christians can lose their salvation. Next question. I want you to appreciate these words. 
as the reader in that assembly would have got to this passage, you know it's at the end of a very good chapter, don't you think? By the time they got, were there any amens coming out of the assembly by the end of Romans chapter 8? Were there any tears running down their faces to know that Jesus Christ had them four different ways? From verse 34, yes. The apostle writes, as it is written, this is so comforting for Roman saints and for others who have suffered to put them into a category with those who died martyrs' deaths in the Old Testament. There's these seven things that men cause to the followers of Jehovah and His Son Jesus Christ that are listed in verse 35. Then in verse 36, the apostle brings forward a quotation from Psalm 44 and verse 22 that we read this morning. As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. My Roman brethren, the apostle is saying, this is the sense of the words, your lot and your condition in what you're suffering is no different than those brethren in the church of the Old Testament. For notice what was written about them. They are killed all the day long and they're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And where are they, my Roman audience? Where are they? Have they been separated from the love of Christ? Or does Hebrews 11 tell us exactly where they are? They are in heaven! And Hebrews 12 tell us where they are. The spirits of just men made perfect are in heaven. So there is so much comfort to take the saints of the Old Testament tie them to the saints of the new, and both comfort the Romans. You can go back before the establishment of the church of the Old Testament, the church of Moses, and find Abel. In the fourth chapter of Genesis, we have our first martyr. For thy sake we are killed all the day long. Why was Abel killed? Because he worshipped God, God's way. And that is what that text means. For thy sake, we are killed all the day long. Though they could see the Pope, and though they could see the steel, and though they could feel the fire, and though they could hear the threats, they saw by faith the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you kiss this crucifix? No! No! Will you swear allegiance to the Pope of Rome, the vicar of Jesus Christ? Peter, with the keys of the kingdom of heaven, never. For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, what things? The seven things listed in verse 35. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. Nay, in all these things, in all these seven things, in all that they might throw at us, in all that they might threaten to do to us, and all they might actually prosecute against us, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Brethren, Christianity is not a religion of survival. 
Christianity is a religion of success and eternal glory. More than conquerors. We just don't survive death at the stake. We just don't survive death in the Colosseum. We just don't survive death on the rack when we were pulled apart and our joints, our joints were pulled asunder. We're more than conquerors. Immediately the Spirit is in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And an abundant entrance into that place is given to that Spirit. That body is resurrected from the dead at the great day of judgment, united with that Spirit in heaven, together, soul, soul, spirit, and body, to be forever with the Lord, enjoying all the pleasures that are at God's right hand forevermore. Close, intimate, personal, visual communion with the Lord Jesus Christ and all saints forever and ever. How's that for conquering death? Amen. You know, some might take a pill or they might drink enough alcohol that they can die without too much pain. Big deal. That's just surviving death. How about being more than conquerors of death? How about laughing at death? Did they, brother? They mocked death, didn't they? They knew that their spirits were going to spring into heaven and God gave them a measure of grace. Brother Gerald and I spoke yesterday. We wonder if we could do what they did, but I tell you, by the grace of the living God and by the Lord Jesus Christ, who would needed to be comforted himself by the strength of an angel in the garden of Gethsemane, in that hour, he would give you grace so powerful you'd be able to sing in the flames. Right. How's that for taking care of you? Do you know what filled them to be able to sing while they're in flames? If I was to hold a match near your finger, you would jerk away. And if I held it there one second longer, you would scream. But as the flames engulfed their bodies, taking minutes to expire, they sang. By the grace of God. How's that for being a conqueror? As Brother Gerald mentioned, praying for their inquisitors and tormentors, begging them to repent and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that conquering death? I remember as a boy, I'm thankful for a father that if there was required reading in our house, it included Fox's Book of Martyrs. So as a little boy, I was reading stories that would have been R or X rated for violence. I remember 300 were put around a boiling cauldron of oil and were told that if they didn't deny Jesus Christ in order to affirm Caesar, they would be thrown into that boiling cauldron of oil. They saved them the trouble and jumped in. Praise God. It was like a swimming pool to them. They jumped in. You're afraid to pray in public over your food? You're afraid to dress modestly around immodest girls too hard? What in the world is your problem and mine? May we be convicted by these holy brethren to take up our cross daily, to mortify our flesh and to put to death those lusts that we have because of the love of our Lord Jesus Christ who's done it all before us. 
so that it said in Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus. We are on a track. You are on a track. The track of life. The stadium is filled with the cloud of witnesses. I've explained all that terminology to you. When you're on a track and you're looking up in a giant stadium, you cannot recognize individual faces. It is just a large cloud of spectators. It's all these saints. Hebrews 11, the ones that Gerald talked about. You're on the track. Are you going to run your race? They're watching you, and who are you watching? Hebrews 12, 2, you're looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he knew what was at his finish line. So he set his face always to go to Jerusalem because he knew that at God's right hand there were pleasures forevermore. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Let's go to Jerusalem. The disciples said to him, Don't you know they tried to kill you the last time we went there? With a holy smile. He knew inside, of course, they tried to kill me, and they will kill me this time. But he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. What are you ashamed of about our church? What are you ashamed of about the Lord Jesus Christ? What are you ashamed of about the Bible? You afraid to carry your Bible to Greenville Tech? Ask the president of Greenville Tech for the greatest piece of literature on their campus. If he says any other book, take it home and stick it in your bathroom and use it for what it was designed for. You're ashamed of the Bible? These poor brethren didn't have Bibles because they were burned. And if they had one page of Scripture, they would clutch it to their breasts and they would die for it because it had the words of God that comforted their souls and you're ashamed to carry a Bible? You memorize stupid facts that can't even be proven to be true and that you will never use again in your life that are forced down your throat by dope-smoking, pagan, hallucinating idiots? And you don't love the words of Scripture? I had to listen to a commencement address yesterday by a Ph.D. And it certainly proves what B.S. is and how M.S. is more of the same and Ph.D. is just piled higher and deeper. It was unbelievable. At least stupid. I had a truck driver sitting next to me. And I said, if I gave you two minutes in traffic in downtown Chicago with your rig, you could come up with a great better speech than that one. Unbelievable. There's so many powerful statements made in this book that graduates ought to hear blasted by the trumpet sound telling them how to go out and face this world. What are you ashamed of is my point. What are you ashamed of? Are you ashamed of this church? Some of our practices? God's holy word? The name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Quit telling people you believe in God. Tell them you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. God doesn't mean anything. They say that Allah is a God. They say that the Great Spirit's a God. They say that Vishnu Brahma is a God. They say Rama of the Hindus is a God. Use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and see what happens.
There was a division, therefore, again among the Jews for these sayings. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ will separate you from people you don't need to be around. Are you ashamed of Him? Nothing will ever separate you from His love. He had power to lay His life down. He had power to take it again. And this commandment have I received of my Father. I love our Savior. Do you love our Savior? Are you willing to taste a little bit of what He tasted for you? They're not going to burn you at a stake, most likely. But will you go out of this place today? And if the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't come, will you live tomorrow giving your body a living sacrifice? Meaning that you'll deny the lusts of your body that the Bible condemns. Meaning that you'll mortify or put to death those things about you that God rejects and disapproves of. This is Romans 8, 35-37. Can one of God's elect lose their salvation while popes, priests, and bishops are screaming with their crucifixes held over them? What a curse. That if they will not recant of their heresies, they shall be sent to hell without any chance of salvation. And that is the largest Christian denomination in the world. And they are all dressed royally and regally standing before you. And they tell you that if you will not repent and recant, that you're going to drop straight into hell without a chance of salvation. Or will it be a doctor telling you that you have a terminal illness? Will you remember and will you believe? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things, We are more than conquerors through the conqueror that loved us. May Jesus Christ be praised. If you haven't believed on Him and been baptized in His glorious name, you're not even on the track. You're in the fields outside the stadium. You're worthless. You're scum. Prepare to meet your God if you do not join the battle by getting out there on the track and running the race of life in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, to whom belongs all honor and glory and praise forever. Amen. Amen.